Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes, soothing decibels. I'm your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 47. And for those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like best halftime movie speech, will Rob Lowe ever age, and is Small Soldiers the forgotten gem of the puppet movie genre? No quote too minor, no plot too small. This is the pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. So before we delve into the topic at hand, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld-level daily observations. So I'm in a conundrum of sorts. I'm kind of freakishly ritualistic about how night owlish I am. I've been bartending for 14 years, and it's made me Batman-level nocturnal. So I don't hit the hay till... Hit the hay? Why do I say that? Uh, I don't fall asleep. <laughs> I'm not 90. Uh... Yeah, why, why do people say hit the hay anyways? I don't, do you punch hay when you're tired? Or is it a farming kind of thing? Like if you're in a barn and you're tired? I don't know. But uh, I usually don't go to sleep till 4 to 6 a.m. But I usually wake up around 11 a.m. to just let the dogs out because, you know, they start staring and whatnot. And I kind of have this Harvey Dent coin flip level choice. Do I do like another hour or two of soothing, relaxing sleep in that early afternoon? and you know, sleep and start the day around one or two? Or do I start attacking the day like those highly motivated, get, like get up and grind Instagram influencers? 95 out of 100 times, I usually go with the extra sleep since I rarely can knock out peaceful sleep. And so why not take advantage of that hour or two when it's kind of easy to shut your eyes? You know that sleep, like you still got the crust in your eyes and you're like, your eyes close and you, there's no thought process, you just fall right back into it. That's rare for me, so why not enjoy that one or two hours when you can really get it? Because usually I have to scene by scene break down a movie until my brain shuts off. Usually it takes one to three hours. You know, it's crazy. I mean, I'm sure if, I'm sure there's other people out there like that. It's crazy. My girlfriend, she just has an off switch. It's unbelievable. She's like, I'm going to sleep, and then ten seconds later, she's out for eight hours. It's unbelievable. It's a superpower. And but for me, it takes a while to deactivate my CPU. So. I have to break down movies, and usually my movies of choice are Death Proof, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Real Genius, High Fidelity. So I think tomorrow I'm going to try to start early and see if maybe it hard resets my ability to crash earlier at night. So fingers crossed. I'm giving it a whirl. Why not? You know, it's a pandemic. What else do I have to do? You know, I mean, might as well try to fix my sleep patterns because I'm more productive during the day anyways. If I try to do anything after midnight, I get like a cluster headache. It sucks. And also debating if I need to slather hot sauce on all my food in the reckless manner I do now. Because right now I have my own personal little cute plastic squeeze bottle of Cholula. And he's basically my best friend. I call him George. You know, he's like my fat little chubby buddy. And he adds zest and pep to all my, all my food. And whenever I squeeze his little belly, you know, just joy comes out. Well, that, sounds, that sounds wrong. <laughs> But I went without it today on some chickpeas, and I kind of had a stunning realization that food has unique taste and mouthfeel when you don't coat it in cayenne pepper juice. I mean, who would have thought? It's been a while. I was like, oh my God, this is what food tastes like? And these might be trivial issues in a non-important life, but these are the joys of my tiny little existence. So back off. <laughs> And I feel like you can find the importance of existence in the minutia of daily thoughts. Big philosophies have small beginnings. So, you know, it's like Zen Buddhism. You focus on 
one kind of minor, uh, one normal act like mowing the lawn or cleaning your house and you kind of turn your brain off and see where your thoughts go. And that's kind of how I justify my focus on these little things. So like when I watch a new movie or a premiere of a new Netflix show, I become the number one fan of that piece of entertainment for 24 hours. I'm the preteen girl shrieking at a Justin Bieber concert. I'm into it. You know, I'm the diehard Red Sox fan calling from Peabody into WEEI to dissect spring training AAA shortstop prospects. I'm Glenn Close in you know, Fatal Attraction, you know, being I will not be ignored. It's just this is my shiny new and entertainment toy, and I just want to I just want to get into it. So yesterday I fell down the rabbit hole with Hulu's new sci-fi rom-com uh, called Palm Springs, and I haven't thought about anything else since. I have gone on Metris boards. I have gone in Reddit holes. I have listened to podcasts, interview with the with the uh, character with the actors. I mean, anything I can get my hands on, I'm just sucking up at you know level eleven levels of suction. I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's levels of suction, but if there are, I'm at eleven. So, short synopsis of the movie: Andy Samberg plays a carefree slacker named Niles who is stuck for living the same day at a wedding in Palm Springs for eternity. He accidentally sucks another guest into the infinite time loop. It's the bride's sister, Sarah, played by Kristen Moletti. She's the first wife from Wolf of Wall Street, if you know her from anything. And hilarity ensues as they attempt to accept, reject, deal with, play around with, philosophize the implausible situation they have inexplicably been thrown into. So off the top, before I get into any more of this, this is the best movie of 2020. Hands down, zero contest, first round knockout of all competitors. This is the Mike Tyson in the 80s of quarantine pandemic entertainment. It's a flyby 90 minutes of joy, joyful, nihilistic questioning about the meaning of life. I mean, how, how contrasting is that? That it's fun, it's light, but it's got these deep questions and kind of a dark vibe to it. And the second is over here, you want to rush, rush to the message boards, or maybe that's just me, but I think everyone does. I mean, the Reddit, the Reddit boards are just blowing up because of this movie. And you want to discuss the deeper meaning with anyone who shared kind of consuming this uh, visual treat. So I freaking love uh, the time loop premise in movies and TV. Give me Groundhog's Day seven days a week and twice on Sundays. You know, that's probably, that's probably Bill Murray's best movie. Russian, uh, Russian Dolls on Netflix. Edge of Tomorrow is Tom Cruise battling squid aliens over and over for two hours. Uh, yes, please. Uh, source Code, Jake Gyllenhaal. He's unraveling a day in the past over and over to save the future from a bomb threat. I think it's the same eight minutes over and over. I haven't seen that one in a while. It was good, though. I would definitely, all those are awesome. But any time loop premise I'm in, you just tell me a time loop, I say where and when. Because there's something so universally human about the question of what you would do with an eternity of today. I think we're kind of we're kind of in it right now with the pandemic too. It just feels like you know the never-ending todayness of it all, and it lends itself to endless comedy bits too. You you know you get these characters who end up being godlike with their knowledge of what gets repeated. You know they can they know what people are going to say, they know where people are going to sit, they know people's reactions to things. You know you can socially engineer people. It's just it just lends itself to hilarity, and ability to kill or be killed without consequence always fun you know, random kind of deaths in this movie. I think he gets shot in the head with an arrow, blown up, run over by a car, uh, airbag explosion, I'm trying, uh, drug overdose. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. And also how gluttonous and hedonistic you can be without consequence. I mean, who doesn't want to, 
you know, just drink beer all day and, you know, eat cake and burritos and candy. They're just, the stuff they're eating is just garbage. They're eating like they're four years old. And I guess you would, if there was no consequences to their, to your body or your health, you know, if you're just going to wake up and look and feel the same, I would, I mean, I would probably give up my salad stuff and just start eating cake for breakfast. Oh man. Oh God. I haven't had pizza in a while. <laughs> oh man. What I mean, pizza, I put tacos on pizza and just slather guacamole and sour cream on it and just fold it up and eat it like a giant pizza taco calzone. Oh man. <laughs> but we're not in the time loop, so I can't do that. <laughs> but I mean, even with all the funny stuff, it delves into the central questions that we all ask when the world goes quiet. It's like, why am I here? Do my actions have meaning? Am I truly alone in this reality? Or are we knitted together in some kind of giant soul quilt of sorts? You know what I mean? You don't know. And the, when you're doing the same day over and over and you really don't have anyone else to talk to, I think these questions dredge up and you kind of get this, you know, profound look on reality and what it is so it gets deep for a 90 minute rom-com and palm springs nails both ends of the spectrum by taking the groundhog's day trope of it all and it turns it on its head because like i said before it has that 2020 relevance because of the pandemic making us feel like we're living long one long repeated day over and over and over and over which i don't mind honestly i could do this all day every day this is just fun for me just watch movies walk my dogs, put on a podcast. Uh, that's it. And work out a little bit, you know, maintain and learn how to cook and eat healthy. I just, I'm having a blast and talk to my parents. Hi mom. Hi dad. Talk to my sister. Hi Katie. Uh, get pictures of my nephew, Jake. Hi Jake. You know, he's, he's cute by the way. He's like two months old. He is, he is a looker. He's going to watch out ladies. Jake's coming, but uh, back to the movie, <laughs> but it has this brilliant introduction to this premise because normally in these movies you're with the main character and he like falls into the time loop and he has to figure everything out and you know it's a slow process it's arduous until he gets to the good part of really kind of mastering the time loop but by the time we open this movie niles has already been in a loop for what's got to be at least years i think i think they've done the analysis he's in it for at least 10 years by the time we we meet him and he's given up formal attire at the wedding he's wearing a bright red Hawaiian shirt and swim trunks, you know, great look and <laughs> fun. He nails the wedding speech, even though he's not supposed to be in it. He just, I think he's a, he's a boyfriend of one of the bridesmaids, but he's just like, screw it. You know what I mean? I, I know what I'm going to say. I know how to make people happy. He's pissed drunk <laughs> pretty much the whole movie, but he uh, knows where everyone is and what everyone's going to say. He knows where to place chairs for guests who falls down. He knows all godlike. And like I said, I mean, he's probably in it for anywhere from five to 10 years. But it's just fun to think about because they don't really tell you anything. It's like you got to figure it out piece by piece. And the fact that it, the fact that he's already existing is the best part of the movie. You know, no sci-fi explanation of how long he's been in the loop. No disappointed kind of unraveling of why he's there or how time travel works. Because that's, I mean, I just watched that show Dark where they try to explain it all and your head just hurts by the end of it. It's that's not fun. It's just a big old mystery to the characters involved and focuses on their story arcs and their lives rather than a disappointing explanation. Because sci-fi is at its, at its best when it keeps us questioning. Think about your favorite sci-fi movies. It's like the end rarely satisfies. It's more about the fun about wondering, discussing and analyzing and trying to come up with your own solution that fits the story for my personal consumption that I enjoy. I don't, the, I can't think of many movies where they stuck the landing. Maybe Arrival, the sci-fi movie was really a good stick the landing one, but sci-fi is generally more 
good when it's gray. You know, the black and white, it's hard because they're creating this world. I mean, no one knows what time travel is actually like. So it's, it feels unsatisfactory because we don't really even know. And plus this movie is way more rom-com than it is sci-fi, I feel like. It's just juvenile humor. So we can put down our nerd glasses and quantum physics textbooks and just go along for the ride. I mean, it's just fun. It's like I said, it's 90 minutes light. It's a croissant. You know, it's in your hand. You're like, man, this looks like it should be heavier, but it's light and flaky and buttery. I just want to, I just want to eat it right now. And I'll eat it in 90 minutes. And that, I am annoyed. I, I think my attention span's going down, but the two and a half hour movies I could usually churn through. Now I just want 90 to a hundred minute movies. And this, this satisfied, but it's concerned that my attention span for something I love is just getting so, you know, uh, distracted easily. It's like, I'm like, Ooh, look a bird. <laughs> so 90 minutes. Fantastic. And like I said, the time loop comes from this. Oh, I didn't say this before, but the time loop come spoiler alert. The time loop comes from this unexplained glowing light in a nearby cave he stumbled into. And I kind of wonder if the cave is symbolic because Plato's idea of enlightenment was being outside the cave in his philosophical Bible, uh, the Republic. But I think, I think that's a nod to that. I hope so. You know, I mean, kind of matrixy in that way, but who knows? They might've just thought a cave was a cool location in Bob Springs. Who knows? And another fun twist is that he accidentally takes Sarah, who's the drunken mess of a sister of the bride into the cave. And now she's stuck with him forever. And now he gets to explain the time loop to her without us having to go through the boring first discovery. Like I said, you know, Phil Connors and Groundhog's Day, the first 20 minutes of his repeat where he just doesn't believe he's in it. It's like, no, let's get to the good stuff. And they do all the fun montages. And I love a good montage. I'm definitely going to do a podcast about montages. I mean, there's so many. You could do fight montages, uh, trying on clothes montages, date montages. There's just so many. I mean, I wonder if there's a class about the expertise of montages or if there's directors that are just the best at montage work. I got to look that up. But the montages they do, they have random, random coordinated dance performances, which are really fun. They're mimicking people's real uh, words in real time. They're tattooing penises on each other in pen with, pa with paper clips. <laughs> They're having sex with any and all guests. And Niles even tries being a bottom in a gay scenario, just out of sheer boredom. He's not gay. He's just like, oh, I want to see what this feels like. It's, just, it's really funny. I mean, it's the juvenile, uh, lonely island kind of stuff. And Sandberg is just fantastic at that. And they even do it like a James Bond, real bomb in the cake scenario. That's so freaking funny. That one of them that Sarah was like an evil genius with a hook hand and a pirate's eye, you know, uh, what's it called? Not, 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 not a pirate's eye. She's missing an eye. What's it called? A pirate's. Oh man, I'm blanking on this. When you have one, an eye patch. There we go. Wow. Yeah. She's an eye patch and she's a Russian accent and they like fight with a crossbow and the bomb explodes in the air. It's really fun. And the, the chemistry between Niles and Sarah is the best I've seen in years on uh, in any kind of romantic comedy. Because they're both intelligent degenerates who have screwed up their lives, but deep down they kind of have hope for the future. I'm not sure. Niles, <laughs> Niles is just content uh, living this day forever, and that's that's a fun new wrinkle to this. Usually everyone's like frantically like, "We got to get out. We got to figure it out. What's the physics behind this? What does it want from us? Do we need to change our lives? Is there's an earthquake that randomly happens uh, periodically throughout the day? Does that mean anything?" Niles is like, "Nope." I just want to drink beer, hang by the pool, and be my little king of nothing in my little meaningless world. It's like how, he kind of argues, how is this less meaningful than my life before? And to a point, I mean, 
there's something alluring about that. It's like, you know what? Life really doesn't matter that much. So just enjoy it. And if you can live forever without consequence, it doesn't sound that terrible. And you kind of, you slowly, you're like, wait, he's, he should be wrong, but it is kind of, a te- it's tempting. You know what I mean? He's like, he's the devil kind of luring you down with uh, like a, a pie on the windowsill kind of thing. But uh, I mean, he's been he's been there so long he can't even remember what his job was before this all started, which is crazy. I mean, I love the the theories behind how long he's been there. I think it's between ten and forty years or something crazy like that. And also, there's another character, uh, Roy, played by J.K. Simmons, who also uh, by Niles got accidentally put through the time loop, and now Roy randomly seeks revenge on Niles through hunting him with a bow and arrow and various other tortured me- torture methods, which is really funny. And J.K. Simmons is the best. He's just this grizzly bear of a man. And you want to have a shot of bourbon with him while he spins yarns in his dulcet, gravelly man voice. So never change J.K. Simmons. Never change. I just I love him. He's in this movie. He's great. He's just a nice little splash. He's in there for probably 15 minutes total. But you remember him. What a beard. My God, what a beard. And like I said, the movie turns into a love story. And as Sarah attempts to kind of delve into the physics, the quantum physics of it all, and attempt to get out of the loop, you wonder if Niles is going to go along with her or if he'll convince her to stay there forever. And it has a nice tension about warring philosophies about the life that we should live and how we feel about life in general. It's like, do you go with the flow or do you fight against the current? Uh, do you map out your own life or do you kind of accept that life has uh, like tracks for you that you're just going to go on regardless? It's all very thought provoking for a very silly and immature movie. So it's, it's fun. I love when movies sneak up on you. It's like, Remember in the Matrix where there, where Neo's going to see the Oracle for the first time, and there's that little kid bending the spoon uh, in the waiting room, and he's dumping heavy philosophies on Neo about the reality of the spoon and how you have to conceptualize that there is no spoon to bend it. And it's like when you get something cute and juvenile that gives you these profound life lessons, it's it hits you like a ton of bricks. It hits you a hundredfold harder. And that's what this movie does. You know, it sneaks up on you with the silliness, but it makes you think. And I love, I love that. You know what I mean? I want, I want my whole life to be just silly, cute things that make me think. I want the Care Bears reading Aristotle to me. I want hmm, Sour Patch Kids whispering in my ear about Nietzsche. You know, stuff like that. And after this movie, you want to take a long walk after, you know, just consuming it. And it's just a joy to think about and rethink about. I mean, a few movies do this. I think when I saw The Lobster, I took a long walk like this. When I saw Swiss Army Man, I took a long walk like this. Requiem for a Dream, Pie. Uh, what other movies just really make you think? Uh, now, those are the good ones. I, I, I hit some good ones. I'll think about that. That'll be another good podcast. Movies that make you think. A lot of Aronofsky stuff. Aronofsky makes you think negative. This makes you think positive. Plus, this movie has little flourishes that are so wonderful, and it makes it so unique. Like, I love how much time and attention they put into this movie, because it's a pecu- peculiar look. God, I can't say the word peculiar. Peculiar. There we go. Let me say it one more time. Peculiar. There we go. It's a peculiar location, Palm Springs, because it's just the desert. And it makes you feel like you're on one long acid trip, like you got lost at Coachella, and you just ended up in the desert. And you're like, is this real, or am I just, is this a fever dream? You have no idea. And the beer that Niles is drinking the whole movie, it's some brand that's made up and doesn't exist in reality. And I love that. It just gives you this kind of Wes Anderson movie feel. Like in Wes Anderson movies, there's these 
gypsy cabs that don't exist in New York that are just old timey cabs. It looks like New York, but it's not. So this feels like it's 87% our world, but 13% an adjacent reality to what we're really experiencing. And that kind of adds nuance to the film. And I don't know, like I said, I love world building. I love movies that give us rules and I love movies that kind of set up a different uh, reality than the one we're seeing. And that's what this one does tenfold. And like I said, the unexplained aspect of it all is to die for. I mean, there's a random grandma in this movie who her, she's called Nana Schiffen, I think her name is. And she seems to be part of the loop too, but you aren't hundred percent sure if she's just a bit out of it, like just a little bit, you know, crazy old woman, or if she's been experiencing the same day too, or if she might be the whole architect or God of this kind of experiment, you don't know. But I mean, that's, that's, that's the enticing part that you get to talk about it. I, I want to talk about Nana with anyone who wants to listen. I mean, we can talk Nana for days. And she's played by June Squibb, too, who's just a fantastic actor. What a fun name to say, June Squibb. June Squibb. Squibb. <laughs> I love saying Squibb. I'm going to say it one more time. Squibb. Okay. <laughs> and there's also multiple scenes where there's Brontosaurus just roaming in the background. And there's zero explanation or attempt to delve into the why of all that. And I just adore movies that are just like, I'm going to be weird. I'm not going to explain much of it. So just take my hand and come along for the ride. I feel like I'm a three-year-old toddler and, you know, my mom, I'm grabbing my mom's hand way up high and I'm kind of just waddling along, confused and looking upwards and trying to make sense of it all. You know what I mean? There's just a childlike wonderment to it. And it's the first big time film from this guy, Max Barbacow. Great first name, by the way. That's my name too, obviously. And kind of crazy. So this movie got shown at one of the film festivals and it's sold to Hulu for uh, $17.7 million, which is the biggest Hulu purchase ever. And it was worth it. I think it's going to get, it seems like it's critically acclaimed. I actually heard about this through all the podcasts that I listen to that go into depth about it. And it was shot in only 21 days. And for some reason, I love a good fast production on a, on a movie. I don't know why that is. It just seems like if it's a long, strung out perform, uh, duration of production, it seems like there's issues, some things aren't working, they keep reshooting things, and maybe people aren't getting along or there's fights. But you could argue, too, people like David Fincher do 100 takes to try to get people to a point of a breaking point of insanity to bring out better performances. So I guess you could argue it both ways. But I want people to get along. I want to be like, oh, it was a nice breezy performance and we all had fun. And I mean, the best example of this is the movie Phone Booth, which I ride so hard for. It's Colin Farrell literally in a phone booth just being tortured by a guy with a gun and it took 10 days to shoot and it basically is filmed in a phone booth. Great movie, Schumacher at his best. But uh, what else makes this movie great is the soundtrack. It's center of the earth level fiery magma of goodness. It's just got 80s pop from Hall & Oates who, oh my God, the back of the car listening to Hall & Oates like driving to New York with my family. I mean, I think everyone has that kind of, uh, everyone my age has that vibe or hollow notes. You know the words to every song. They're so catchy. I think there's actually a hotline you can still call called the hollow notes hotline. And it'll literally just play you hollow notes hits for you just to comfort you. I need to find that number. They got Cindy Lopper's time after time after time. Best. I mean, one of the best songs of the eighties, David Bowie and John Cale. And the original uh, score too is this kind of stranger things, pop synth original soundtrack from this group called I can't believe this is their name. What a great name. It's called Cornbread Compton. It's fantastic. Cornbread Compton. It's like, how do you, do they just like 
pick two names in the source and just go with it. I mean, who knows? And that soundtrack is equal parts kind of mystery and joy. It feels like it could have been part of the Adventure Time TV show soundtrack, if you know the show. And it's endlessly rewatchable for these tiny flourishes and minute details. I mean, I, I'm going to watch it again tonight, I think, and just take notes like a freaking nerd. <laughs> and, I mean, another little little flourish is uh, we find out that at the end of the movie that the repeated day is November 9th. And if that sounds familiar to you, like, why is that day important to me? That was the day our last president got elected. So what a winking brilliance that we're all living in a repeated day hell since of November 9th. <laughs> so if that's not a shot, I don't know what is. And it, I mean, you wouldn't even know it unless you looked it up or someone told you. So that's just a fun little, that's a fun little period at the end of that sentence. So if you want an entertainment companion who understands the struggles you've endured over this past four months, while telling you jokes and softly telling you it's all going to be okay, this is the movie for you. Honestly, I'm, I'm more in the Niles camp than Sarah. I could endlessly repeat this day forever, like I said, because I get to pod with all of you, all of you lovable people, about the content, about the content that makes me smile. So I hope this movie and this pod add a little bit of rainbows, sprinkles, and sunshine to your current time loop. Later.